Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our church family. We thank you that we sit here this morning with brothers and sisters in Christ and we have a Heavenly Father smiling down upon us because we are changed people. We are your children. We have been adopted into your family and you love to see us come before you and listen to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that we may indeed listen carefully to what your word has said this morning about our older brother, Jesus Christ, and how he is of great help to us as we seek to serve you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you have someone in your life that understands you, particularly when you're in distress, when you're in trouble? when you're in great pain? Is there someone that you can go to who is able to understand where you're coming from and help you? I know with my own children that I'm not the first priority in their lives when they are distressed or in pain. I'm not the first person they go to who will understand them. Because, of course, firstly, I don't always understand what they're saying. They may come into the room crying away and say something in what is supposed to be English But to me, it doesn't sound much like English at all. And so they will travel on to the next person in the house uh, after they pass me, and that is my wife, Jill. And she has some sort of ability to be able to comprehend uh, this other language that my children sometimes lapse into, and she knows exactly what they're saying. So she understands them and is then able to help them in the distress that they are feeling. And I sometimes think that even when I do understand what's happening with them, I am not the person who understands exactly what is going on and is able to respond in a way that they would like as well. I seem to have more of that idea of, oh, that's what's wrong. Oh, you'll be all right. And that's the end of the story. Whereas mum seems to have a much more caring disposition and is able to understand the ins and outs of what is going on and able to provide the right response to them that they prefer to have shown. And this morning we're going to look at whether somebody understands us, particularly as we struggle as Christians, as we struggle to hold on to our faith in a hostile world that we live in. We've been looking at this book, uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, for a, a couple of weeks while we've returned uh, after a long break, but we did spend quite some time getting up to chapter 4 and verse 15. And last time I spoke, we looked at verse 14, and we saw that this book, we're reminded once again, is written to people who are thinking of abandoning the Christian faith and going back to Judaism. They are Christian Jews. They've converted from Judaism to Christianity, but now they're experiencing hostility, pain for being a Christian, and they're thinking of going back. And so in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, the author encouraged the people to hold on to the faith that they have because they have this great high priest. And we see that in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. If you've got a black church Bible there, open it up to page 1186, 1186. And we'll be looking at verse 15 this morning, but I wanted to just show you from verse 14 what came previously. The author said this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What are we supposed to do? We're meant to hold on firmly to the faith we profess. Why are we supposed to do that? Because we have this great high priest. And last time I went into great detail about what a high priest is, 
took you back to the Old Testament and looked at how Jesus is a superior high priest because he has not just gone through, uh, he didn't go through the veil here on earth, but he has gone through the heavens itself and into heaven and offered himself to God himself there rather than through that earthly tabernacle uh, that the earthly priests went through. And he also is said to be there in verse 14 to be a great high priest because he is the son of God. He is God himself, this high priest we have. So we should always choose Jesus over an earthly priest. So these Jews who are thinking of going back from Christianity to Judaism, do you realize what you're leaving? You're leaving Jesus, the son of God, as your high priest and going back to an earthly priesthood. Now then, we're told here to hold on to our faith. But you may be saying, okay, well that's easy for God to say here, for this author of Hebrews to say, but does... Does the author actually understand how hard it is to be a Christian at times? The struggle it is to overcome the sin in our lives? The struggle it is to stand firm as a Christian when people around you, even family members, are attacking you for being a Christian? Does anyone understand how much of a problem that is? Wouldn't it be better to, instead of having Jesus as my high priest who is God and so abstract and distant from me, wouldn't it be better to have a human high priest here on earth who can understand the struggle it is for me to be a part of that religion? And so I think the author then moves into verse 15 to answer that question that may be arising in your head. How can, how can I find someone who understands how difficult it is for me to be a Christian? And the answer is, you can go to Jesus. You can go to Jesus. He understands how hard it is for you to be a Christian. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is how verse 15 shows us that Jesus understands us. He understands us very well and is then able to help us as we try to do what verse 14 tells us, to hold firmly to that faith we profess. So the question is, how is Jesus able to understand us? How can Jesus help us? And that brings me to my first main point this morning. My first main point, you can see my main points there on the back of the church bulletin. My first one is, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. And we see that in verse 15. We see verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was tempted. Now what does it mean to be tempted? Well, another way of translating tempted can mean trial or test. And so the idea of a temptation is when you're presented with the possibility of doing wrong instead of doing what is right. Now then you may say, okay... Was Jesus really tempted? Well, we read verse 15 and say, yes. Was Jesus tempted to do something wrong? And verse 15 says, yes. But then we go, but remember what it said in verse 14. It said that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God himself. Surely he was not tempted to do the wrong thing. But that's why we've got to remember that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. Turn back with me to chapter 2, verse 14. Just flip the page over to page 1185, if you've got a church Bible. Verse 14 of chapter 2, and what do we read about Jesus there? We read, Since the children 
that's Christians, have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus has flesh and blood. Jesus shared in the humanity that we have. He was fully human. And so Jesus also faced temptation. He faced the possibility of doing the wrong thing and not doing what God wanted him to do, doing God's will, but instead to do his own will, to do what is contrary to God's will. Jesus faced that temptation to instead of doing what God required, to do the opposite. He is fully human and he did indeed face temptation. But you may say then, okay, but did Jesus really face temptation to give up on God and doing God's will like I do? Does Jesus really understand how hard it is to stay firm in this horrible world that is so painful at times, to stay firm as a Christian? Does Jesus really, did his temptation, was it really to the same extent that I experience? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And we see that in verse 15. We see, it says, Therefore we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus experienced the temptations that we experience. He experienced them fully. We should never think that Jesus was somehow superficially tempted in a different way from the way that we were tempt- we are tempted to give up on God's will and instead of doing right, do wrong. I think we have got to remember this, that Jesus was tempted throughout his life here on earth. It wasn't as though Jesus was only tempted in that time that we know, uh, most of us know clearly about, when Satan came to him in the desert and tempted him there by asking him to do different things. Jesus was tempted throughout his life to not do what God wanted him to do. And he did it in very hard circumstances. One of the big problems with temptation is the circumstances that we are in when we feel that pull to do the wrong thing. And we often will say, well, I had to sin in that sin. It was so hard. The circumstances were so bad around me that it was I couldn't do anything else. We have to remember that Jesus was tempted under hard circumstances like we are. Jesus lived in this hostile world as well. We're not the only people who have experienced pain and trouble in this world and then been tempted to do the wrong thing, to give up on God as we experience pain. Jesus experienced temptation really far worse than you have ever experienced it because the pain that Jesus went through I can pretty much assure you that none of you have been through just what he experienced physically here on earth, but also, but then spiritually, none of you have experienced his circumstances to the degree that he did, and then he stayed firm and didn't give in to temptation. What did Jesus experience here on earth? The hard circumstances Jesus experienced? Well, he experienced poverty. He experienced banishment. He experienced sickness. He experienced grief. I mean, uh, just that you consider, we don't know much about his adoptive father, Joseph. Uh, after age 12, he, he disappears out of the picture. 
He would have grieved for his adoptive father, Joseph. He knew what it was to be hungry. He went on a 40-day and night fast. How many of you here have experienced what it is to be without food for 40 days and nights and then face temptation and do something wrong? He experienced thirst. He experienced imprisonment. He experienced weariness in his body. He got tired. He experienced the pain in his body, a heaviness of heart. He experienced people refusing to listen to him, which is often when we think that it's okay to sin is because we want to draw people back over to our side. We want people to listen to us. He had people turn their backs on him that were close to him, like Peter, who denied him three times. He had a close friend, Judas, actually betray him, someone that had spent years living with him. He had been incredibly kind to him. And then that person sold him for money. Sold him. Jesus experienced that. Jesus' own family didn't even accept him. It wasn't like everybody turned away and his family stayed close to him. We see his brothers did not believe in him. We see his mother struggling to understand what is going on with Jesus, claiming uh, he's out of his mind. And even at the cross we see Jesus experiencing great anguish as he sees his mother distressed there before him. Imagine what it would be like to be crucified, but then to have your own mum stand there and watch what happened to you. And then, of course, Jesus' experience on the cross, as he experiences that racking pain, he's also experiencing the wrath of God, the curse of God against him for not his sin, and not just for one person's sin, but for the sins of many, 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 many people. He's experiencing that pain there. And as he's experiencing that pain there, do you think he was tempted to give up and come down from the cross? Well, we know that someone actually did tempt him. It wasn't Satan coming along, but I'm sure Satan was involved. Mark 15, verse 29, we read, as he's being crucified, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it three days... Come down from the cross and save yourself. People are right there as Jesus is experiencing the most anguishing circumstances known to man. Physical pain, spiritual pain, and there are people there saying, Come down from the cross. Save yourself. And then it continues in verse 31 of Mark 15. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves saying, He saved others but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus has had people turn away from him in droves. And now they're saying, we'll believe, we'll, come, we'll, we'll trust in Jesus if you come down, do this miracle. Jesus is experiencing great temptation there at the cross. People will follow him if he stops doing what God wants him to do and die on the cross and goes down, does what his body would be crying out for him to do. Jesus did experience temptation in circumstances that we can't even imagine. You think your circumstances are bad. You think that you, you've got a right to give in to temptation because of the pain that's going on in your life. Consider Jesus. The circumstances he experienced are incredible. 
You'll never understand how painful it was for him to go through this world the way he did. And yet he stayed firm. He was tempted in every way, just like you are, and then beyond. But you may then think, oh, well, the circumstances for Jesus were bad, okay, yes, and he was tempted to do so. But how badly was he tempted to go in that direction? How much would his will have yearned to do not the will of his father, but to do a different will? How much would Jesus have moved in that direction? I mean, you've held out against temptation and found it really hard. How much did Jesus hold out against temptation and find it hard? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Jesus was tempted, yet was without sin. See that in verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. This is an amazing statement. Just compare Jesus, then, to your own life. Could anybody say, you are without sin? Maybe strangers on the street might be able to say that because they haven't witnessed anything in your life. But as soon as you go to friends, they will say, yeah, I've seen you sin. And if you go to someone's family members, oh, yes, they will trawl out pretty quickly all, uh, uh, lots of evidence that you are a sinner. But Jesus was without sin. Now, how does that help us understand how, his, how much he experienced temptation, how fully the temptations were for him? Well, Jesus then knew, if he didn't sin, he knew temptation to a circumstance beyond you will ever know. Think about your own life. When you're tempted to do something wrong, when something comes along and you know it's the wrong thing to do and you hold out and you hold out and the temptation gets stronger, circumstances get painful around you and you hold out, but then if it gets really strong, what generally happens? You give in and you sin. Now imagine Jesus. The temptation comes and he holds out. The pain in his life gets stronger and he holds out. And he holds out and the temptation gets stronger and stronger and stronger beyond what you would normally cave in at. And he is still holding in. He is still doing God's will. He hasn't given in. And the temptation is getting to a degree that is just unimaginable for us. He's experienced temptation beyond what we will ever consider. The strength of the temptation that would have come to him is incredible. The way of illustrating it to try and understand how Jesus experienced temptation in comparison to us. Imagine two walls on a seashore. One is a, a wall that is pretty soft and crumbly. And then there's another one that's made of rock and hard and solid. Now you've got waves coming in against those walls again and again and again. And one of those walls pretty quickly crumbles, the one that is soft. And the waves wash over it and wash it away. But the other wall stays firm for centuries as waves continue to come against it again and again, and it does not move. Now, which wall has experienced the most force against it? The wall that crumbled after, let's say, we give it a year. Or the wall that stayed firm for centuries. Now that is Jesus, that wall. 
the waves of temptation came against him again and again and again, and you are the wall that falls and crumbles after a little bit of temptation. Now, does Jesus know what it is for you to be tempted? Yes. He knows what it is to be tempted beyond what you will ever experience. He knows circumstances beyond what you will experience, and he knows temptation to a degree that you will never experience. So what does that then mean? Well, it means that Jesus understands what you are going through when you are tempted to do what you've uh, been told to do. You're tempted to do the opposite of what you've been told to do in verse 14, of hold firmly to the faith you profess. Jesus knows how difficult it is to hold firmly to the faith you profess. And so that then brings me to my fourth point. Jesus was tempted and is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Jesus was tempted and is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. But you read that in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Jesus is able to help us when we struggle to be a Christian in a way that no one else can help us. It's a sad fact that we as humans often want to look to other humans in our lives to help us when we struggle, when we're in pain, when, and particularly when we struggle as Christians. We go to others in our lives and we go to humans. We want people who really can understand us and we think other humans in our lives can understand us better than Jesus can. I think this is one of the reasons Roman Catholicism loves the whole idea of saints and going to saints. You go to Mary because she understands me better. She's a motherly character. She is, she's human. She had struggles. Or we go to St. Peter because, of course, Peter is someone that struggled himself as a Christian. He denied Jesus. And so I get on well with Peter. And so I go to him instead of going directly to Jesus. Or when we've got spiritual problems or pain, we want to go to someone who understands us and we go to another human like a psychologist or to even friends and family, to a spouse. We've got a struggle where temptation we're dealing with and instead of going to Jesus, we go to other people in our lives or even to the church pastor. We think, oh yes, that's the person I go, I'm struggling with this temptation. Who do I call? I call the pastor. Call him at 2am, get him out of bed, he'll be able to help me. And we haven't gone to Jesus first. I'm not saying that you can't go to friends and family, go to your spouse, go to your pastor, come to your pastor if you're struggling with temptation. That's what I'm here for. But there's someone you should go to first. First and foremost. Who is that? It's Jesus. Because your pastor does not understand your temptation like Jesus does. Your spouse, your husband or wife, does not understand temptation like Jesus does. Family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ at church, they don't understand the way Jesus does. If you want help with your temptation, go to Jesus. Why? Because he can sympathise like no one else can. He understands your struggle. And he's able to soothe and help you as you try and resist with all your might that temptation. 
And then as you feel like you're going to struggle and you're going to give in, Jesus actually gives you the strength as well that you need. Jesus gives you counsel in his word on how to get over the temptation to remind you to do the right thing. And he also gives you that strength. Remembering Jesus did not sin. So if you want help in resisting temptation, who should you go to? Someone who's never given into it before. Obviously they know how to overcome it. You don't go to the pastor or let's say a friend who struggles with the same temptation and you know regularly gives in and you think that they're going to be able to help you when you know that they're often giving into that sin. How are they going to be able to help you? Obviously they don't know the ins and outs of that temptation and how to overcome it, but Jesus does. Go to him. Look to him for help because he can teach you how to overcome it and he can give you the same strength that he used to resist temptation. He can give that to you. It's an amazing thing. God gives his strength to us. I still can't comprehend why he would. I'm a sinful, horrible creature. But in God's mercy, he gives his strength to me so that I can resist temptation. So why don't I go to him and ask him for it? That's what I should be doing. I should be going to Jesus because he knows how to resist temptation. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, I love that you're here and I want you to understand that Jesus is the only one in your life who can help you overcome sin. You may already recognise that you're a sinner. As I said before, family members will remind you fairly frequently if you do the wrong thing. And you may be wanting to know how to overcome the sin in your life. Well, Jesus is the one who can help you overcome it. He overcomes the penalty of sin that you deserve for your sin. How does he do that? By taking that penalty at the cross. When he died on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God so that you could go free. So that you are no longer punished for your sin, but instead Jesus is punished. And then Jesus doesn't just take away the penalty of sin, he helps you overcome the sin in your life. He gets rid of the sins you have committed, and he helps you stop sinning in the future. As one who knows what it is to be tempted, he helps you. And so that you stop sinning, and you start to live God's way, do God's will, rather than your own will. And so if you want Jesus to help you overcome sin, what do you need to do? You need to repent of your sin. You need to say, I'm sorry to God for what I've done and turn away from your sin. Ask him for help to stop sinning in the future and trust in Jesus. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross so that the penalty that you deserve for your sin is removed in that marvellous substitution as Jesus takes the sin that we have and puts it upon his own shoulders so that we no longer need to die for our sin. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to do that this morning. Jesus is the only one. No other human can help you overcome the penalty of sin and overcome sin in your life. Go to Jesus in repentance and faith and do it now. Don't wait. Trust in Jesus this morning. And if you are a Christian, I want to ask you, what do you do when you face temptation, who do you go to? Do you go to Jesus, recognising that he understands temptation because he experienced what it is to be tempted? And he didn't just experience what it is to be tempted in a superficial way. He experienced it in every way, just as we are. 
And then he experienced temptation in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So he knows temptation beyond anybody else. So do you go to him as the great sympathizer, the person who understands you better than anybody else? And the person then who is able to help you overcome temptation, he understands temptation better than anybody else and gives you strength if you will ask him for it. Do you go to him? Do you go to Jesus when you face temptation? Let us speak with our God now. Let us speak to him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what your word reveals about your son Jesus Christ. We thank you that we know that he is the Son of God. He is God himself. But we also recognize that he is fully human and he faced temptation. He knows what it is to feel the pull to not do your will. Lord, we pray that we may go to him first and foremost. We thank you for the many people that you do give us in our lives who sympathize with us as we face temptation. But Lord, may Jesus be our first priority. May we go to him as someone who understands us and sympathizes with us in a way that no one else can. And may we go to him for strength to overcome temptation. May the same power that was at work in his life to resist temptation be given to us. And so we become more and more holy and become more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.